Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to read in just a moment verses 3 through 15. Let me just give you just uh, maybe a little bit of review of where we're at and what's going on. If you know the story of the book of Habakkuk, it's a prophecy. It's really the only book in the Bible that is strictly a dialogue between the prophet and between God. Habakkuk is very concerned about the wickedness of his nation, Judah. And he feels that there needs to be revival. And in order to have revival, God should come in and and judge his own people. So God says, all right, I'm going to do that. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to send the Babylonians, the Chaldeans in, and they're going to judge you. And then that causes Habakkuk to say, wait a minute. How in the world can you use somebody more wicked than we are to judge us for our sin? And God answers that question and shows his greatness and his glory. And then Habakkuk is now, he's kind of humbled by this. And so when we come to chapter 3, his tone just completely changes. And he enters into a spirit of prayer and he, he prays. And we saw that last week. He prays this great prayer in verse 2. Oh Lord, I have heard thy speech and I was afraid. Oh Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Do what you're going to do in this time. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. And he basically sets this prayer to music. Uh, he, he makes this uh, something that is such a heartfelt, passionate prayer that he wants it to be remembered long in song. And so that's what we're going to read in verses 3 through 15. I invite you to stand with me out of respect. The reason we do that is we want to respect God's Word. We want to treat it special because it is special. Now I want to, as I read this, I want you to be reminded that because he made this prayer, this, this worship into a song, it's, it's very poetic. And so we kind of have to, we have to think about it a little bit. So he says, God came from Timon, and the Holy One from the Mount of Mount Paran, Selah. Pause and think about it. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. And His brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of His hand, and there was the hiding of His power. Before Him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at His feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. And the perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah, Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for their salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head of the house of the wicked by discovering the, found, the, discovering the foundation unto the neck, Selah. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his village. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. The rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters." Well, pause our reading there. I know as you read that, sometimes you read these uh, prophecies and you think, oh man, what was that all about? 
And again, I tell you, you may not understand everything, but you're going to pick some things out that you do understand even when you read. And I'll try and bring some clarity and some explanation to what we're reading here today. But here's the takeaway I want you to have. This is the title of my message, and this is the takeaway. When life gets blurry, adjust your focus. When life gets blurry, adjust your focus. See, that's what's happened to Habakkuk. Life was all blurry for him in chapter 1. God came and revealed Himself to him in chapter 2, and now he has a, has a better focus on what's happening. And I want you to see that this morning. Heavenly Father, I do pray you speak to our hearts, and you pray and help us. Pray that you would help us, and I pray you minister to us. Help me to clearly communicate the truth of your word, and we'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Appreciate that. Whether we like it or not, we are influenced by our culture. And I certainly have been influenced by the American culture in this respect, that uh, we live in a very impatient society. We want what we want now. In fact, we want it yesterday. You know, I mean, that's just kind of how we are. The other day, I, I kind of had to chuckle at myself. I was at a stoplight, and this guy didn't turn his turn signal on. I was trying to turn left and had a yield light, and he didn't turn his turn signal on, and so he was slowing down, and I could have turned by the time he got there, and then it held me up. I mean, it had held me up a whole 30 seconds. It really bothered me. I mean, man, I was muttering under my breath and complaining. And man, I'll never get those 30 seconds back. We live in a very impatient society, don't we? I mean, all you have to do is say one word, instant. I was trying to think of, off the top of my head, just all these things that go with instant. We want instant results. Instant food. I mean, how do you have an Instapot? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? We, we want instant wealth. We, we just, we, we want it and we want it now. And we want immediate results. We, we want immediate results that can be calculated, categorized, and computed. That's, that's what we want. And so therefore, we, we sometimes bring that mentality into our faith. We, we want results rather than wanting fruit. We talked about fruit last Sunday night in the life of Joseph. He was a, a fruitful bow and a, a fruitful tree or vine. And, and you understand that fruit takes time to produce. It just, you don't snap. Like if, if you have some kind of fruit bearing tree, it takes seasonal time for that, that to grow. It doesn't just happen. And I'm afraid sometimes people carry that mentality into their faith. But God describes true Christianity as fruit bearing, it's not instant. So all this, God's Word changes lives, you understand, it does do that, but it, it, it sometimes takes time to bear that fruit out in our life, and, and many people are not willing to allow that to happen. And so what happens is the consequence of having this instant mentality, especially when it comes to our faith, is that we lose the value of the process. You, you understand, like a washing machine goes through a cycle to get the clothes clean. And sometimes we want to rush the process. We want to ignore the process and just get to the outcome. And I think that that's the problem with our social justice movement is it doesn't really care about the process. It just wants an outcome. And I think that's dangerous. I think it's dangerous. See, God has lovingly taken Habakkuk on a journey, and here's where he's taken him, and it's a good journey. In chapter 1, he found Habakkuk living in fear. And so he's taking him on a process. He didn't come in chapter 1 and just, fear's gone. No, it was a process of 
leading him and teaching him and showing him and revealing to him. And it led to a place of faith in chapter 3. That's been the title of our series, From Fear to Faith. But let me just help you this morning. If you're saying, hey, you know what, I want, I want God to take away all my fear and I never want to experience fear again. And I just, God doesn't really do that because he's not just interested in outcomes. He's interested in the process. And so as he lovingly takes Habakkuk on this journey, it, it, it requires some things. So I want you to see what happened to Habakkuk as he, as he came to chapter 3, and, and his tone, is, his spirit is completely changed. Listen, the wickedness of Judah hadn't changed. The prescription that the Chaldeans were going to come in and, and judge them, that hasn't changed. Nothing has changed as far as the results are concerned but what has happened in Habakkuk has completely changed because God led him on this journey. And so here's what happens in chapter 3. Rather than badgering God with a lot of questions like he was doing beginning, and, and remember, if you, if you track back to that, we said it's not wrong to ask God questions. If we've got questions, we should go to the one that has the answers. Think about that as wise people in your life. They're not people that know everything. They're people that know where to find the answers. And so Habakkuk going and asking questions, that wasn't a problem. But in chapter 3, he's no longer badgering God with his questions. Instead, what he's doing is he's singing his praises. So that leads me to ask a question. In my study, I was thinking, okay, so what happened between chapter 1 and chapter 3? What happened? What changed? And I got one answer for you. His focus changed. His focus changed. I, I want to talk to you about focus. I... I haven't told this story in a long time, so I'm going to tell it. Uh, when uh, Macy was a, a little girl, uh, she was much younger. She was, I don't know, six, six years old or something. She, she played soccer. She was the only one of my kids that kind of got into soccer, and so she was playing soccer. And unfortunately, they would have soccer games on Sundays, and I, I didn't like that. That wasn't my preference. And we would never miss church for a soccer game. Not, uh, we just wouldn't do that. But if they played in between church, we would do that. And so it was just kind of my responsibility to, to take her to practice and go play soccer. And she was on, on this soccer team. And I, I kind of enjoyed that. And I began to look forward to the games because there was one kid on her team that was very entertaining. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, this guy, Alex, was a stereotypical, I mean, I don't, I'm trying to be mean, but he was just a, kind of a stereotypical nerdy guy. He's this really skinny guy. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being skinny. I'm just telling you right now. He's a little skinny guy. I mean, I don't know how his shorts stayed up, and he, he would pull his shorts up higher than most people would and tuck his shirt in real tight. And he, and, he, and, he, and he wore, like, sports goggles with a strap, and they were big, you know, and he's this little skinny guy. And this guy had, like, a massive, massive overdose case of ADHD. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun. I'm just trying to create in your mind's eye what, what to envision with Alex. And, you know, they would be in line doing their soccer drills in practice, and Alex would not be paying attention. I mean, he's just this gawky, I mean, looking around everywhere. And you, you, you couldn't get him to pay attention and hone in. And I mean, I, I don't always understand coaches. I know we like to criticize coaches. They, they know more than we think they know sometimes. But, but he made Alex the goalie. <laughs> I thought this was a mistake because, I mean, this guy's got all this energy. I mean, let him run after the ball, you know. But here he is, he's over in the goalie box. And I mean, like, the ball's coming and Alex is, you know, he's over here. Well, Alex, had a, Alex came from a single mother family, a single parent family, and his mom was raising him. And they had several kids. She was doing the best she could with him, and she's, she was a good lady. Uh, but but she, she was kind of, you know, apples don't fall far from trees. 
So she kind of had her pants up a little high and tucked in, and she's over there on the sideline wa watching Alex play goalie. And Alex would get distracted. And so she had a remedy for that. It was to yell at him. And, and she had this really shrill, high-pitched voice, and she would go, Alex! Focus! And these must have been the magic words because Alex would be, and she'd say, Alex! And he was ready for the ball. I mean, he was on it. And so this would happen over and over and over again. I began to look forward to every Sunday afternoon game. I'd pop my popcorn. I'd have my folding chair. I'd set up shop down by the goal. They're waiting for Alex to come trotting out onto the field. Yeah, we got our goalie today. You know, and I mean, he'd be getting out of Alex. I mean, I mean, it was just like, it was intense. Cracked me up. We were trying to impact our community, you know, and reach for the gospel. And one day I looked out into the congregation and there was Alex and his mom sitting in the congregation. Man, I wanted to so bad in the middle of my sermon go, Alex! Focus! You know, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon today, I'm sure this afternoon while you're taking your good Baptist nap, you might just, ah, focus! You know. But I think that that's what happened between chapter 1 and chapter 3. God brought some focus to Habakkuk's life. Now think about it, in order to focus on one thing, you must by default ignore many other things. Back to our friend Alex. What was his mom trying to get him to do? Focus on the ball. Hey, the ball's coming. The ball's, you you got to block that ball. You need to focus on that. But, but he was focused on the dandelions, the birds, the fans, his sister. I mean, he was focused on all kinds of things. And in order to focus on what you must focus on, you have to say no. You have to ignore things maybe of less importance. See, the truth of the matter is, is most people don't have trouble focusing. What they do have trouble is focusing on the right thing. See, that's what happens. Let's take Habakkuk and apply it to our modern day. Habakkuk was troubled at the wickedness of his time. That's, again, that's not something to ignore, but doesn't that happen to us sometimes? We get focused on something wicked that's going on in our society. We get focused on something that is broken in our society. We get focused on something that is wrong in our society. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention to that. I'm not saying we shouldn't have discernment about that. But I'm saying what happens is so often we get so focused on that that we get out of focus on something that is of more importance. And so every once in a while we need, like God did with Habakkuk, we need to, our, our life is getting blurry, we need to adjust our focus on something that is greater. So again, I hope you'll remember that statement. When life gets blurry, adjust your focus. And I want to give you two, this morning two, two adjustments that Habakkuk made to his focus. They come from our text, and let's all today, as God's people, make that adjustment to our focus. Number one, focus on God's great, greatness, not your fearfulness. Listen, we all have fears. We all have concerns. But let's not focus on our fearfulness. Let's focus on God's greatness. You see, in order to overcome his fear of this coming invasion, Habakkuk intentionally reminded himself of what he knew. 
And here's what he knew. We read verse 2 together. He said, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. What he knew is he knew this, that God is a great God, and God always keeps his word to his people. He had to readjust his focus on that. And so that's what leads us into these verses that we read in verses 3 through 15. And again, they are poetic in nature. But, but here's what I want to help you do this morning. Rather than going word by word through each one of those verses and explaining everything there, I, I want to just give you the big picture. That way we can move quickly. You can get to lunch. But we can walk out of here with the big picture. Would you agree with that? Oh, some of you want me to go verse by verse. Oh, we'll be here till 3 o'clock then. Oh, okay, we'll do the big picture. They're poetic in nature. Here's what you can take away. If you read that and you thought, man, I, I don't quite understand all of that. I don't understand what you're talking about. You know, the mountains were trembling and the rivers were overflowing and this kind of thing. Here, here's, here's the takeaway. The mighty and awesome display of the power of God. That, that's what he was looking at. In a very poetic way, he, his focus became on the, the mighty power of God, the great display of the magnitude of the greatness of God. So that's why we see things in this text real quickly. God is described as rising up from the southern mountain ranges of Timon and Paran to rescue his people. You might not have gathered all of that, but you just have this imagery of this great God arising up out of these mountains, like overcoming the great hills. And, and, and in a poetic way, he's saying God is just bigger than all of this. He's described as a giant striding across the earth, really straddling the nations, shattering the mountains, stepping on the hills, kind of like we do when the fire ants start building those. I mean, I, I'm 45 years old. I still love to step on those things. Come on, how many of you are, are, are older? You're not kids anymore. You still like to step on them. Man, watch all those ants come cra crawling out of there. I just imagine God, like, can you imagine God stepping on the Rocky Mountains Stepping on, I mean, it's, it's the imagery of how big God is and how great He is. God is described as a divine warrior who exercised judgment on behalf of His people. You know, you can kind of imagine somebody picking on somebody and there's somebody bigger standing behind them, protecting them. That's, that's the idea that God was this mighty warrior who never loses. Those are the images that you gather out of these poetic uh, verses that, that Habakkuk put in prayerful song. He seems almost to be making specific reference to the exodus and the conquest of the promised land. He, he makes references to those. And if you study the Bible, you know that the Bible's constantly pointing back to the exodus and constantly pointing back to God's redemption out of Egypt and then the, the deliverance and, and granting of the promised land. So we make that application to us today. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Here's what we need to do. We need to do what Habakkuk did. We need to follow Habakkuk's example during times of uncertainty. Here's what I'm saying. We are meant to find hope for our future in light of God's faithfulness in our past. And that's what he does. He says, listen, right now things are blurry for me. Right now it's, it's, it's not always adding up exactly why things are happening the way they're happening, but I know this much. I know that when we were in bondage in Egypt, God busted us out of there. I know this, when there were giants in the land, God gave us that land, and God protected that land. He remembered that God was faithful and powerful in the past, and it gave him hope for the future. See, we recognize that God's faithfulness is a given. We sing it. 
I mean, you, you know, you, we constantly sing it in our services. It's constantly requested at funerals. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father. What a wonderful hymn that is. And by the way, let's make sure that, that man, we, we sang a new song this, this morning. And I love that song, Speak, O Lord. I really do. It's one of my favorites. But I will say this, man, we don't ever want to get rid of those powerful old songs. Why? Because they, they're timeless and they speak of a timeless God. And many of us sitting in this room have been blessed over and over and over again. Lord, great is thy faithfulness. I don't know how many times I've heard that song. And it blesses me to this day. But here's the problem. We know God is faithful. God's faithfulness, that's a, that's a given. But when it comes to applying it to our life, sometimes it becomes difficult. You say, why? Why would it be difficult to apply God's faithfulness to your life? The reason is because we've experienced a lot of human unfaithfulness. We've experienced human unfaithfulness in our life, and so therefore, it causes us sometimes to question God's faithfulness. Come on, I'm not trying to pick any scabs. I'm just trying to make application. There are people in this room who have been betrayed by the unfaithfulness of a spouse. There are people in this room who your parents promised to show up at a program or at a game or to take you somewhere, but they forgot about it or they, they got too busy and they didn't. So you think, well, I can't even count all my parents. Maybe you trusted your boss for a raise and it never came. Maybe you've trusted a friend before for a secret that they didn't keep. See, see, when we experience the unfaithfulness of people, we sometimes translate that onto God. And that's kind of a mistake. We need to adjust our focus. So I, I think everybody, the reason I chose to go through Habakkuk, I think everybody can relate to Habakkuk. We like Habakkuk, we, we look around and we feel like we're losing. You ever feel that way? I hate losing. Listen, I love winning, but I hate losing more than I love winning, I'll tell you that. And I don't know if those are two sides of the same coin, I don't know if that's the same thing, but I'll tell you, I hate losing. It bugs me. And I think sometimes we, as God's people, in America especially, we look around and we feel like we're losing. I think Habakkuk felt that way. I feel that way in America today. I feel like we have totally lost our moral compass. Totally lost it. We are drifting around. Listen, I don't know if you're like me. I'm not good with directions. Now, I, I think GPS is one of the greatest inventions ever made. I'm telling you what, it's awesome. And I just have a rule. Some of you that still like to give you know, old school uh, directions. Hey, you go out here and you turn left and you're going to go down three quarters and take a right. And Listen, if you have more than two steps, I straight up ignore you. I mean, you might think you're still getting to me. I'm the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am not listening to you. It's called Google. And I will get there. I, but I'm not real great with directions. I mean, the other day, have you ever been to the third floor in our local hospital? The third floor in our local hospitals where the ECU is and the CICU, it is incredibly confusing. And I have been up there a lot of times. And now they're doing some, like, in construction work up there. And listen, I'm telling you, I got up in the third floor, and I was like a rat in a labyrinth, man. I was, like, running around. I mean, I had somebody even ask me, you work here? Like, I guess they see me pass so many times. I don't know. <laughs> 
not know where I was going. It's no fun to, to be lost without like, any kind of direction. To not know where you're at. And I'm telling you, we're living in a culture that, that used... I'm not saying everybody in America was saved, but everybody had a sense of, of mores in our culture that was defined by the same compass. The Bible that, that, that gives Judeo-Christian principles and values and laws and precepts. And friend, we have totally lost it. And we are totally losing our sense of direction. We don't know where we've come from. And because we don't know where we've come from, we have no idea where we're going. And everybody is confused. I feel like we've lost our character. Simple honesty and hard work and diligence completely lost our character. You talk to anybody who's in management. Man, I'll tell you, we're always looking to hire people. Man, if, I mean, if they'll show up on time and pass a drug test, man, send them our way. I hear that all the time. You meet somebody, you meet some kid who's 16, 17, 18 years old and knows how, to, knows how to show up and work hard and do what he's told or do what she's told. I'll tell you, it blows people's minds. What? Why? We've lost our character. I feel like we've lost, I just put this down in my notes, we've lost our ever-loving minds. I mean, we're, we're hearing on the news people sending their kids to family-friendly drag queen shows. What? What? Like, like, we have lost our minds. We have gone crazy. And here's what happens to us, and I'm trying to bring this back into proper focus, because it's easy to sit on Fox News or whatever your source of news is and stroll like this and go, what? Oh my, oh, oh, and just lose your mind. And so what happens is we begin to doubt God's greatness, and in our core, we know we shouldn't. I preached on Wednesday night the difference between unbelief and doubt and there is a difference between the sin of unbelief and the struggle of doubt doubt is man i can't believe unbelief is i won't believe doubt is is kind of honest it's honest about its struggles it's honest about its questions but unbelief is obstinate no matter what answer you give not gonna believe doubt is constantly looking for light we think, hey, what's happening to us? We've lost all of this. What's going on? But we're searching and we're looking for light. Unbelief is happy to be in the darkness. And again, I'm telling you this morning, the cure for any doubt that you have is proper focus. And I'll give you a biblical illustration. John the Baptist. Great character in the Bible, wasn't he? He's out there. When I think of John the Baptist, I think of kind of an eccentric guy. The Bible describes his clothing as kind of camel skin garment. And I, I, I don't know exactly what that meant, but there was something unique about it. And so I kind of see this kind of hairy thing and he, he's, he's wearing a big leather belt, it says. I don't know why. I always envision like a, you know, a weightlifter's belt, you know, some like big, huge belt. And he's, he's wearing that for some reason and he's out there eating bugs and honey. I mean, I don't know. Did a guy, he had his, I imagine, sound a beard, you know, and he's preaching in such a way, maybe spittle got in his beard and he's dipping bugs in honey. I just, I just imagine kind of a crazy guy. But he was a preacher. And a lot of people look at preachers and think, eh, 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 kind of crazy, kind of crazy. 
He's out there preaching, and he's preaching away. And, and boy, he's, I mean, he's standing toe-to-toe with political leaders. He's standing toe-to-toe with religious leaders. I mean, he's exposing wickedness and immorality, and he's preaching away. And he's, he says, I, hey, listen, I'm not him. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make, make your paths straight and get ready because the Messiah is coming. And one day the crowd parted in John the Baptist looked, and with great assurance and great authority, he looked out and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And then we get all fired up about that. And we should. It's awesome. But fast forward in time a little bit. John the Baptist has been thrown into prison because of his stand for righteousness. He said something that the political leaders didn't like. They wanted to shut him up. They eventually did. They, they cut off his head and put it on a silver charger. His voice cried no more. But he sat in prison. You can imagine what he was going through, couldn't you? Boy, he was out at the River Jordan. Boy, his focus was right on. Boy, his focus was on prophecy. His focus was on the glory of God. His focus was on the Messiah. His focus was on redemption. His focus was on repentance. His focus was on Jesus. That's why he said, he must increase and I must decrease. Now he's sitting in a prison cell. He can't see Jesus. All he can see is the damp darkness of a, of a jail cell. All he can hear is the, the whispers and talk of his of his execution. All he can see is, man, I once was a popular preacher with thousands coming to hear me preach, and now nobody comes and sees me. So he had a question. Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he, re- is he really the one? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus didn't get mad at him for his doubt. Jesus just said, go back and tell John. Blind people can now see. Go back and tell John. Dead people are being raised. Go back and tell John. Miracles are happening. Why did that all happen? Exactly what we're talking about with Habakkuk. Focus on God's greatness. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Look at all these mighty, powerful things that I'm doing. Focus on that, not on your fears. See, the thing that lifted Habakkuk to the mountaintop was his focus on a proper theology of the greatness of God. Can I tell you something? You know what's going to lift us up out of the despondency of our own broken culture? A focus on the greatness of who God is. All right, I've got to hurry here. Let me give you the second point here. Focus on God's purposes, not your plans. Focus on God's purposes, not your plans. Let me draw your attention to verse 6. It says there, He stood and measured the earth. So I see here that God calmly measured the earth. And you know what that is? It's a poetic way of saying He owns it. You get out and you measure something, I mean, that, it's yours. Uh, not too long ago, we were wanting to I mean, we did this a couple years ago now, but there's a sign out front, if you've paid attention to it, is a sign out front for the school. And we wanted people to know that not only do we have a church here, we have a school here. So we put an independent sign out there uh, for our school. 
Well, uh, I was kind of, I, I live kind of by Concord Baptist Church, and they've got some signage out front, and I thought their signs looked nice. And so I kind of had it in my mind to have a sign similar to the signs that they had. And so uh, one day, since I live by there, I just pulled in the parking lot, and I had a tape measure. And I just, I just jumped out. I wanted to see what it was made of. I wanted to see how it was affixed. I wanted to see, see what, it, what, what was going on there, and I was measuring it. And, I was doing this. and you could tell there was this guy, he... He kind of noticed me. He was kind of hanging out in the doorway of the building. He kept looking at me, and I was just measuring and doing my thing, and I was writing some things down. And, and finally, that guy couldn't take it anymore, and he came out, and he, and he, he kind of, he wasn't rude or mean. He just was like, hey, can I help you? Kind of like, what you doing, man? And I was just like, oh, yeah, 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 I like your sign. It's a nice sign. I said, I'm, I'm the pastor at Oakwood Baptist Church, and we're thinking of putting a sign. And we liked your sign. We were thinking of putting a sign like this. And he immediately was like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. And then I couldn't get away from him. He was talking forever. I was like, I already got my measurements, my information. I want to go. And he's telling me all about the sign, who made the sign, where you could, you know, he's giving me those instructions. You know where the sign company is? You know, and I'm like, I don't know, you know. See, God, by measuring the earth, he was showing his ownership of it but it also, it also was a sign that he was about to do something. Why else would you be out there measuring it? Why else would you take measurements and look at the ground landscape and uh, think about that? It's showing, it's basically surveying so you can figure out what needs to be done and what steps you're going to take to do it. And so God is saying and has been saying to Habakkuk, listen. I have a plan, and I'm going to perform my plan. I will execute my plan. Now, I like that because God could have stayed put. God could have let everything happen and done nothing about it. And that had been Habakkuk's originally concern, but now he knows better. And Habakkuk came to the realization that as long as he focused his attention on Habakkuk's welfare, and on what Habakkuk thought was right for himself, then he was kind of miserable. He, he, he was out of sorts. Why is this happening? Why are you letting this? Do something about this. It's kind of like that Yiddish proverb that says this, man plans and God laughs. That's what has happened in chapter 1, right? This is what needs to be done. This is what's going on. And I, I know exactly how to solve this problem. And friend, you and I do that all the time. I do it. And I'll tell you what, if I got off a Marine one, I'd salute them Marines. And if I was sitting in the Oval Office, I'd tell you what legislation I'd take, and I'd tell you how I'd handle this thing, and then I'd get pretty convinced that y'all would elect me as president. Have you ever thought to yourself that all of our plans for the world aren't necessarily God's plans for the world? And so once Habakkuk took his mind off his purposes and took his mind off his desires and began to focus more on God's purposes, he found relief. And isn't that what Jesus taught us? We fast forward to the New Testament. Remember, they're all connected. But isn't that what Jesus taught us in the New Testament? He said this, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. You know what basically Jesus was saying to us? hey, put your plans on the back burner and let my plans take precedence in your life. 
That's basically what he was saying, right? Well, that's what Habakkuk needed to do. Habakkuk was no longer concerned for seeing his purposes and his plans succeed. Now, what he wanted more than anything is he wanted God's will to be done. That was part of the Lord's model prayer, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Basically saying this, quit trying to force your plans through and just live to follow my plans. And Habakkuk got to that place. But it took him a process. It took him a while. You see, Habakkuk came to the place that if God's plan included the invasion of the Babylonians, then he got to the place where he said, then so be it. And let me ask you a question. Kind of a hard question. If God's plans, if God's plans for redemption, God's plans for His glory, if they involve the destruction of America, would you say, so be it? It's kind of hard, isn't it? I think sometimes our problems can almost be traced back to our natural tendency to focus on our own self-centered purposes in life instead of focusing on God's purposes for us. Let me close by reading to you a poem. John Bannister wrote a poem, and he likened life to weaving. Sometimes maybe you've heard preachers use that illustration of somebody doing like cross-stitching or something, and underneath it's a mangled mess, but on top it's it's a beautiful picture. It's kind of what the idea of this poem is. Let me read it to you. John Bannister wrote, My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I may not choose the colors. He knows what they should be, for he can view the pattern on the upper side. Well, I can only see it on this, the underside. Sometimes he weaveth sorrow, which seemeth strange to me, but I will trust his judgment and work on faithfully. Tis he who fills the shuttle. He knows just what is best. So I shall weave in earnest and leave him with the rest. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads, they are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern that he has planned. He knows. He loves. He cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to Him. It's well written, well done. And I think that's what God is saying or God has taught Habakkuk in chapter 3. Is Listen, I know you had it all planned out, but your plan is not my plan. And Habakkuk was all kind of worked up and unsettled until he just said, you know what? I'm going to focus on God's purposes, not on the way I want it to be. And he found peace and he found praise. Now we'll conclude the letter, the prophecy, in the last several verses next time we're together. But maybe your life feels a little blurry right now. And I just encourage you to adjust your focus. We'll say, what should I be looking at? Why don't you start, for one, looking at the greatness and the majesty and the power of God? Why don't you start there? Why don't you just start there, instead of trying to force your plan on God, just say, hey, God, whatever plan you want, I want to get on on your plan. Let me ask you some questions. The question is this, where is your focus?
Is your life blurry? Then again, I say to you, adjust your focus. Are you focused on your fears? Or have you been focused on His greatness? Are you focused on your plans of how it should be? Or are you focused on, how, on God's purposes? I pray the Lord will help us today.